1: I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I'm excited for another fun episode this week. Before I bring my guest on, however, I want to just go through a couple quick housekeeping things. First of all, just a reminder, if you haven't already... We would love for you. Oops, I'm having already technical issues. Sorry about that. Um, we would love for you to become a premium member of Parenting Aces, and you can do that by going to parentingaces.com and clicking on the join button, and we'll show you your different options. We also have our online shop for with some cool merch, including caps like this one so if you're in the market for some fun merchandise with our logo on it please click on the shop tab and uh, that will take you to our shop online and also if you are not following us on our various social media channels like facebook twitter instagram youtube we'd love to have you do that we are at parenting aces pretty much everywhere Also, for those of you who are premium members of ParentingAces.com, just a reminder that we have a members-only, private, tennis parents-only Facebook group, and we'd love to have you come join us there for some great discussions.
0: Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek, mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com
1: so all that out of the way let me introduce this week's guest we have coach Tom Downs joining us from Texas Tom just returned from Indian Wells and he has been a traveling man we've been trying to get this interview done for weeks so I'm really excited to- to finally have him on the podcast just kind of a point of reference. Those of you who are part of our Facebook group may recognize the name Gail Pitts Black. Tom is married to Gail's daughter, Nicole Pitts, who I did a podcast with several years ago. Nicole is a former professional player. She is now a physician and has had a a tremendous life in tennis and her two younger sisters as well. So that's kind of bringing everything full circle connecting all the dots but I'm going to bring Tom back on um, hopefully Tom you are there somewhere so I'm going to get you to um, go ahead and unmute and get your video back on and uh, we'll get you back in the shot and start our chat here he comes hey Tom how are you I'm great, and I just want to remind those of you who are listening to the podcast, if you want to see Tom and me live and in, in your living room or on your screen or wherever you are, go to ParentingAces.com, and you'll be able to watch the video version there or on our YouTube channel as well. So, um, oh, Tom, you just muted. Let me get you to unmute again. Sorry. There you go. No worries. Okay. We're all We're all good. So before we dig into your coaching philosophy, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell the Parenting audience a little bit about your tennis story. How did you get started in the sport?
2: Well, I'm originally from Tasmania in Australia and Tasmania is the smallest state in Australia. It's separated by a band of water called Bass Strait. So I, I, I come from an Australian rules football background both my dad and my uncle were were very good at that sport and you know I just got a bit sick of playing it so I took up tennis at the age of eight and I was just hooked on it and um, I was a good junior player in the state of Tasmania at age 12 we moved to Brisbane which is in the state of Queensland and that's a much bigger tennis state there's lots of great tennis players that have come from Queensland such as Roy Emerson Laver, Patrick Rafter. I mean, there's a whole host of sort of a who's who with the Hall of Fame from Queensland. Um, I played juniors until the age of 17. And then I came to college here in America. Um, I originally planned on coming to college, I think, for one semester, but I finished up being here in America for 20 years. So it's uh a Little different than originally planned, but it's been great. I played four years of college tennis for a small Division I school called South Carolina State. You know, we played lots of good Division I schools in the Carolina areas. Um, After college, I got into coaching at Shadowbrook. I just loved it. I mean, I, you know, I just loved helping kids and loved being a part of the Harry Hopman Tennis Academy. And um, obviously, It's an Australian place, and uh, what can I say? I just loved it, and, um, you know, I took it very seriously. Um, And from there, I spent two years working at Saddlebrook. Then I, um, during my early years on the WTA tour, I was a heading partner for Sam Stosa and Renee Stubbs. During that time, I met a very very famous coach by the name of Harold Solomon and at the time Harold was actually about to start his own academy in South Florida and he said to me you know look I mean if you're interested in coming and you know being a coach at my academy I'd love to talk to you more so I took Harold up on that and it turned out to be the best choice that I've made and um, worked there for eight years and during that time, I worked with you know some great professional players such as Elena Dementieva, Shahar Peer, Laura Granville, Vera Dushavina. Um, I, I think there were 10 top 50 WTA players and some very good junior players at the time, such as Ali Kick and just a whole host of good girls that went on to play Division I college tennis and worked there for eight years and went... And when his academy closed down in 2016, I went on to work for myself and um, in South Florida. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've worked, worked with some good junior players, some good professional players, and I've had some great experiences and just been lucky. It's been a great ride so far
1: you've had the opportunity to train under some amazing coaches and to learn from them. That's so cool. And, Mm. you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on parenting aces is the whole notion of mentorship, whether it's Mm. coaches getting mentored by the coaches that came before them or even tennis parents getting mentored by other tennis parents, which is kind Mm. of what the parenting aces community does. And, you know, that's an important piece of of learning. Right. So Can you touch on kind of the the ways that these mentors that you came up underneath have influenced your philosophy of coaching?
2: Well, first of all, I went to Harold Solomon just because he's an unbelievable brand name in tennis. And, um, you know, at the age of 23, I admitted to myself that I, I had a ton to learn and I Knew that, and I knew that to get to the next stage of my coaching development, um, you know, I thought Saddlebrook was great and all that, but going to a guy like Harold, I I just figured I'd get what I had to get in order to become a great coach one day. Mm -hmm. And he taught me the ropes. I mean, I was humble, I was smart, you know, I paid my dues, I put my time in. Um, There were no shortcuts, Lisa. You know, I just worked hard and... um, did all the dirty work and he saw that and he took good care of me and gave me plenty of opportunities. And if I didn't go there, I mean, look, I I don't think I'd be in the position that I'm in today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's been a huge influence on me. I mean, he's still a great friend. We still talk tennis all the time. Um, he's, he's just got such a good common sense philosophy about the sport. And, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor and friend. That's awesome.
1: And so you talk about where you are now. Where you are now is in the Dallas area. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I was um, married to Nicole in August of 2020. And, uh, you know, we had to look for a city that was good for both of us. And obviously, Dallas is is just a great tennis area. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's rich in history. There's lots of clubs, lots of academies. Lots of players. It's very much the same as South Florida. Perhaps not quite as big in terms of the numbers and, um, you know, the amounts of public courts and things like that. But it's very much a tennis town. So I do my own thing in Dallas, Texas. I help out at a, at an academy called Lakes Tennis Academy. And I've actually just started coaching a WTA player um, just this past week at Indian Wells. So, Things are going along well. It's been busy, but it's all good. That's awesome. I'm
1: very familiar with Lakes and um, some great players come out of that academy. So, yeah. yeah, very cool. So I've mentioned your philosophy on coaching. Can you share with us what your thoughts are on junior tennis development? What are the most important pieces of the development process? And are there ages and stages in your mind that a player has to go through in order to reach whatever the highest level is for that particular player?
2: Yes, for sure. There's different stages of junior development. I mean, personally, and this is just my opinions. I think the best way to start kids off is the traditional way with classic strokes and good basic fundamentals and then evolve, you know, as they progress and develop, um, you know I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I mean, I don't teach everybody the exact same forehand or backhand or, or surf because everybody has different mechanics. Everybody has a different personality and physicality, so you, you, you've got to take those factors into account as well. And um, you know, it's it, it's really about finding what's best for each individual and. You know, in terms of the technique, the playing structure, really all those things. And there's no, you know, it's, as I said, there's no one size fits all. Um, Mm. You know, and that's, uh, you know, I think the art of coaching is finding what works for each player. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of information out there. There's you know it's um you know it can it can't be well if I want this player's forehand to look like that, but it's not the right forehand for them. Well, I, I can't be stubborn and do that. You know, I, I have to do what's right for each player. And um, so for me, it's very much an you know just an individualized approach. You know, I take a good look at the player and and just you know I've been able to say, look, you know. This is how this person has to play based on their personality, their, their physicality, their mechanics, um, you know, and just basically stuff like that. But um,
1: there's been a lot of talk recently about, you know, the WTA forehand and the ATP yeah. forehand. And, um, and it seems from what you're saying that you don't really buy into that notion that. The forehand belongs to the person. There's not one that's, you know, generic that can be taught to everybody and be effective.
2: Well, I mean, I've taught girls that, you know, the stretch shortening cycle forehand, for example. Um, You know, I've had guys that have a fairly classic forehand. Um, You know, so again, I think it's a matter of what works best for each person. Um, I, I also think it depends a lot on what their goals are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know if you get somebody who just wants to be a good solid division one college tennis player but the priority is on academics well do you do you need to teach them a stretch shortening cycle forehand for example what is a stretch shortening cycle forehand i've not heard that it's the proper name of the atp forehand i mean i don't like to use terms like atp forehands and wta (laughs) forehands i mean i just don't think that's really that's that's not right. I mean, I you know, it just isn't. But um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about which, you know, forehand, for example, is best for each person. Right.
1: And so when you have a kid just starting in the sport, are you yep. a red, orange, green, yellow progression person or are you let's get right on that yellow ball and go?
2: To be honest with you, Alicia, I really haven't had much experience in that area. Um, I probably would start with the orange dot, with the orange ball, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, again, depend, but, but again, it depends on the individual. I mean, if they come from a, a background of playing baseball or cricket or they've, you know, got great right hand eye or they've, you know, had lot, you know, or, or 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 if they're a big kid for their age or something, well, then I, I might, you know, adjust that and get straight into it. So mm-hmm.
1: so you don't take kids at the beginning stages as much as you take um The kids that have the basics and are ready to go to the next level. That's correct. In your mind, how do you assess a player to understand what they need to do to reach their goal, whether their goal is playing in college or going on to the tour? What are you looking for in a player?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is character do they have the character to be as successful as they want to be? You know, there's lots of kids who talk about being a great tennis player or being a great college player, but do they have the character to do that? You know, they might like the idea of consistent hard work and improving and getting feedback, but do they really want to do that on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. So I think the character is very important. I think that the quality of the athlete is very important as well because, to, as you know, to play high caliber division one or professional tennis you have to be a good athlete or better than good
1: I mean you have to be a good athlete to pretty much play college tennis at any level these days the competition is is tough out there right it's
2: international it really is a fully international sport for college scene so it's uh, yeah I mean it's for sure yeah
1: yeah so when you say you're looking at character does that equate to coachability in your mind or or do you mean something different than that
2: no I think a part of that is coachability I think a part of character is but willingness to work hard to be able to make adjustments obviously to be able to learn um, to be able to work hard consistently to not be able to take shortcuts you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's all of those things. And, right. um, and obviously just be able to stay the course and understand that it's not a straight line from being a good junior to a WTA or ATP professional. There's ups and downs, you know, and unpredictable things that can happen, such as injuries and things like that. So you've got to be able to deal with those things. And
1: in, in your opinion, Tom, how important are ratings and rankings to a developing player?
2: I think it's important. I think the problem is too much focus gets directed towards those things so I think uh I think a coach has to be able to and again I mean it's a team effort obviously for you know for players at all the levels so the coach has to get the buy in from the player and the parents and be able to get them to best understand the ratings and rankings and things like like that for example um If I have a kid come to me who's fixated on their UTR rating, well, I'm going to talk to them about that. I'm going to talk to them about how to approach that. I'm going to talk to them about, you know, how to deal with that. Um, You know, what do you do when you play somebody? (coughs) Sorry, who's got a UTR ranking below yours? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and just things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's important.
1: And I mean, when you say you're going to talk to them, what do you say? Because everywhere you turn now, it's all about what's your ranking, what's your rating? Well, I
2: think tennis is a one-on-one sport. You know, it hasn't changed across the years. It's a one-on-one sport. The idea is to focus on the things you can control. You know, it could be your quality of footwork, the quality of legs, that goes into every ball. It's important to have performance goals and, Focus on a game plan and be able to stay present, and all of those things. And then, if you perform, usually, the, you know, the rankings and the ratings will take care of, of themselves. And um, getting people to buy into that and think along those lines is not easy. Um, you know, it's obviously different for each player, but you know, I feel the job of the coach is to direct the ship in that correct direction.
1: And what do you feel is the role of the parent in all of this? Um, You know, how involved do you want the parents to be in the day-to-day planning and execution of the plan for their child's tennis development?
2: To be honest, I want the parents heavily involved because, you know, if the parents are heavily involved, if everybody communicates extremely well, well, there shouldn't be as many problems. Right. I mean if we're all on the same page. I knew I liked you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> if the coach took you know, look, it's very, very true. Look, I mean I think that look, I think that any coach who tries to block parents out or reduce the role of the parent or any of those types of things is really setting themselves up to fail because at the end of the day, you know, the the parents are not getting fired as being parents. So I just think that the coach has to understand. And to get the most out of a player, you best learn about the player straight away by establishing a good report with the parents. Mm -hmm. You know, the very first thing I do as soon as I get a player, doesn't matter the level, I talk to the parents. You know, I want to know what the kid's thought process is, what's their personality, what type of learner are they? You know, just, just things like that. So, so then you don't waste as much time. Because the problem is, if people don't communicate properly at the start, then we wait, you know, five or six weeks to have conversations that probably could have happened straight away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole thing. And, and then it's like, why? Why does it take so long to establish good communication? So for me... In Australia, we call them stakeholders, and I think that's a good way of seeing it and a good way of yeah. viewing it. And they're a huge part of the team. And and um, like I said, I mean, you know, sometimes we get parents that are heavily involved. Some, sometimes we get parents that drop the kids off. But either way, I mean, the parents have to be kept in the loop and they've got to be updated. And, um, you know, the, the development plan has to be clear the communication has to be excellent if there's any problems i mean people have to meet and talk about things you know i think this yeah. you know i think most of the problems happen because of bad communication and because coaches and parents are not on the same page and um, you know i think as a coach i mean I, I try and take the leadership in the whole thing and be like now yeah, look let's let's talk about things if you're not happy call me we'll talk about it um There's no ego in the whole thing from my end. I mean, it's all about the, it's all about the player.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, somebody once said to me, the player is 95% of the team and perhaps the coach is 2%. And that's a, that's a good way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. What are questions that you wish parents would ask you up front before they bring their kid to train with you?
2: Um. I just wish they'd ask me any questions that are on their mind, (laughs) if that makes sense, because there's no That's a great answer. Yeah,
1: no, it's a great answer. And I think, you know, for a lot of parents, they struggle over choosing a coach for their child, making sure that it's the right fit and all of that, but they're afraid to ask the questions. Well, I
2: think the problem is, Lisa, I, I think the problem is, like a lot of the time, and I'm not trying to knock coaches or anything, I'm not, but lots of the time I think coaches have fragile egos. And if parents ask them questions, they're often scared. Well, if I ask that question and he gets upset, well, yeah, he's going to get, you know, peeved off and he's not going to want to talk to me and maybe he'll take it out on my kid. And I'm like, well, you know, it should never get to that stage. Yeah, I mean, the coach, should just be like, look, you know, at any given time, I'm prepared for any question from any parent. I mean, for me, that's just how it is. I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty intense coach. I mean, I work people extremely hard. Um, You know, I think that, you know, I think that anybody who knows me knows that I keep things simple. I do explain things well. I'm known for good communication. But I always want parents to ask too many questions, if anything. And that's... uh, I just tell them up front I'm like hey if you have any questions at any time just text me and call me and they're like well you know we we feel good about that because you've coached so many great players and I just say well look I mean the past does not matter I mean it's all about the present. and I'm a coach and I'm here to help people and that's my job so please ask.
1: What about from the players perspective do you feel like Cause some kids I know are very inquisitive and they want to know the why behind everything they do on the court. Other kids are just sponges, whatever the coach says they take in and then they try to execute on. Mm. Do you have a preference of working with one type of kid
2: versus the other? No, I don't. I mean, I just love coaching all, all kids. I mean, I love yeah. coaching. I love communicating and I love the challenge of, figuring out what works for each kid in terms of communication so like you said if you get somebody who wants to know why well you'd better have an answer straight away because you can't (laughs) you know you just have to so it's uh coaching is tricky it's uh there's an art to it I mean as I said at the start I mean it's about finding what works for each person because there's lots of information out there so you have to it, you know, it's tricky. It, it can be um, complicated, confusing, but, um, but you know, if you if you keep an open mind and your goal is to make the player better, well, you'll figure it out pretty quickly.
1: What are some of the challenges, Tom, of taking on a new player who has already got all the fundamentals in place? Because you said, you know, you don't have as much experience starting players from scratch. So that means you're getting players who – have worked with at least one coach prior to coming to you. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the challenges involved in that?
2: Well, the problem I see all the time is in coaching. It's like, you know, coaches I know will get players from other academies, for example, who were started off at other academies, Mm -hmm. and they will always say things like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe that these coaches taught this forehand or I can't believe (laughs) they told the kid this. Can you believe that? And I'm like, no let's find out why let's ask the player why let's find out why did they tell you the things they told you mm-hmm. why did they start you off the way they started you off let's learn a bit about the player and the player background and then let's go from there and let's not criticize you know let's let's keep an open mind here because it is all about the player and you know let's let's figure out what we need to do to get better because it's all about going forward it's not about what's just happened so that's the uh That's what I'm all about.
1: Have you ever had a situation, Tom, where you feel like you've given everything you have to give to a player and it's time to turn them over to another coach?
2: To be honest, I mean, I don't mean to sound as though I have an ego because I don't, but I actually haven't. (laughs) Um, You know, I do. But on the other hand, though, Lisa, I will say this. I do. I do sometimes ask the second opinions from guys like a Harold Solomon. I do sure. collaborate with other good coaches that have excellent insights and have good input and don't have egos. Um, you know, I don't do well around big egos, but, I, but I'm but i not afraid to ask. I do seek you know, expert opinions from guys like Harold Solomon and people like that. Um, for example, I, I've been at, many WTA tournaments and Renee Stubbs is probably one of the best volley coaches I've ever seen. You know, she, she's a phenomenal yeah volley coach. I mean, she's a great commentator. She, she's a student of the game and occasionally she'll see me working on, you know, on a player's volleys and she might come over and suggest a couple of things. And, you know, I think that type of thing's great. So by all means, I mean, um, you know, I, try to learn as much as I possibly can and become the best possible coach for every player by seeking expert opinions. And yeah.
1: What do you see the role of technology being in junior tennis development?
2: Well, I think the problem is it's probably overused a little too much. You know, I think the issue with junior tennis is, there's probably too much coaching. I I think most kids are overcoached. I mean, I, you know, I like the Harold Solomon approach where we teach kids to think for themselves. I, I know Todd does, you know, the same type of thing as he thinks the same as we think about it all. And, um,
1: Todd so being Todd not,
2: yeah, so I think getting the balance right for every player and just in general, you know, because you can't get too technical you can't get too technical you have to look at each player and be like well how do I get the balance right for this person Mm -hmm. when do I work on technique when do I address the technical things that need work how do I go about it in such a way because I mostly coach you know female players and um with them you've got to keep things extremely simple because too much information can make them think too much and overthinking is just a terrible thing I mean it's it's a kiss of death thing and uh So I think it's got its place, but I think it it can be used too much.
1: Mm, Interesting. Because there's, you know, a lot of talk now about the fact that tennis has kind of been behind the times in terms of utilizing technology to help players Mm. reach their highest potential. But, But you're a purist.
2: Yeah, and I just think that some people, I mean, tennis is not the, you know, it's not the NFL. It's not basketball. You know, it's a one-on-one fluid and conditional sport. So, while I agree that, you know, for example, Darkfish tag matches are a great source. I mean, they're unbelievably good and they do make the game plans more accurate. But I do think that, you know, having, you know, slow motion on iPhone is great. It definitely does help. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think... Um, you can't go off on your own tangent too much with that stuff. I mean, if you get obsessed about something as a coach, I mean, it can have a bit of a negative effect. So you just have to get the balance right. Um, Having said that, I mean, if you can do that and use it well and properly, I mean, it can be a great asset. So. Yeah. You
1: mentioned game plan and I just wanted to ask you about teaching tactics and strategies versus teaching technique ground strokes yeah. and overheads and serves and footwork and those yeah. things hmm. at what stage of the junior development process do you feel like tactics ought to be introduced to a young
2: player or
1: to any player I or is straight it something-
2: away because they yeah. have to learn to play the game as soon as possible so I think straight away um, mm-hmm. you know I get It's a little bit disappointing when you get a student who's come to you who is technically very, very good, but they don't know how to play. Mm -hmm. And it happens in the pros too. Sometimes you get a great talent who's a great ball striker who might be 300 in the world on the WTA tour, and you're like, well, if only they knew how to play. (laughs) What do you mean by that? So expand on that.
1: Expand on that concept of knowing how to play. What does that mean?
2: Well, you have to know what your playing structure is. So you have to know your strengths, your weaknesses. You've got to know your overall style of play. Sure, you can be adaptable and make adjustments, but you have to know your overall brand of tennis. So, for example, I'm coaching on the WTA Tour. My last full-time player before Coco Vanderway was Storm Sanders, and Storm was um, very much about patterns of play but we would always focus on what she did well so we'd focus on her brand of tennis then we'd talk about a couple of things about the opponent then we'd figure out how to match up what storm does well versus what the opponent does well so mm-hmm. on the WTA tour it's it's very much about taking what your player does well and matching it up against the opponent um so but
1: for a junior player how would that translate
2: for a junior player, I think at a young age, they need to know their overall playing structure and their brand of tennis. And I think they need to be able to understand that and, and understand their identity as a player. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times they, they don't understand that. So I think it's exactly the same. You know, they, they should know their strengths and what they do well and then be able to match it up against what the other player does not do so well.
1: Mm-hmm. And... In terms of identifying the type of player you are, you're talking about a baseliner who likes to grind versus a serve and or Is that what you're yeah, talking about? I'm probably about?
2: talking more about somebody who might be dominant forehand, but has a capable backhand plays controlled aggression, all court tennis. I mean, I don't like to complicate things for players, but I like them to have a, a proper sense of how they have to play. So I'm just, So instead of just saying, well, a baseline or aggressive baseline, I mean, I want things to be a bit more specific and a bit more clear.
1: Got it. How do you help players kind of understand their strengths and weaknesses? Because I know for a lot of them, you know, they're not great at self-evaluating.
2: And sometimes it takes a
1: voice in your ear to point things out.
2: Well, I think sometimes my, um, my favorite thing to do is just ask players questions and then turn that into a collaborative kind of conversation. Because the last thing I want to do is make a player feel as though they're not very smart and they can't think for themselves. So I just like to ask questions and then put some suggestions, you know, in there and then direct things in the right direction and get their feedback and keep talking about things. And then hopefully at the end of the ongoing conversations we have at the start of my time coaching them, being they can, you know, establish their um, own identity and we can both be clear about it.
1: Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about getting ready for college tennis. You played college Mm -hmm. tennis yourself. I did. What do you feel like are some of the important action steps that junior players need to take in order to be not only ready to for the rigors of college tennis, but also to make themselves attractive to college coaches so that they get invited to come play
2: somewhere. Well, I think the most important thing a college coach looks for is can the player win matches? Do they know how to win? So, you know, if you can find ways to win, if you love the battle, You know, and if you're a problem solver and you get to solutions quickly, if you're good at those things, you know, of course, you have to have the talent and be a a good athlete or great athlete. Um, If you have those things, I think those things go a long way towards securing a good scholarship because coaches want that. I mean, they want to know that if it's coming down to, you know, for us, it used to be the seventh match was the deciding match. Mm -hmm. I mean, assuming, you know, if it's free free, they want to know that they've got somebody who loves pressure, can win close matches, can embrace the battle, can get to solutions and problem solve. And, you know, and, um, and it means a lot to them to, to, to win matches, you know, yeah. for that team in school.
1: How do you help a junior player develop that skill set?
2: Well, I think the problem is, like a lot of the times I go to all different academies across the country and the world for that matter, and to me, there's too much pointless hitting. There's lots of balls being hit. There's lots of drills being done. But I walk away and I'm thinking, well, what's the purpose of those drills? What's the player working on? You know, yes, they're working hard. I get they've been intense, and I love all of that. But I also think players have to be put – under a tremendous amount of pressure in practice. Now, I know pressure is not the same as matches, and not the same pressure in practice is not the same as matches and tournaments, but you've got to put people under pressure in practice. Mm-hmm. You've, you know, for getting them to focus better, be more disciplined, whatever your reasons are, you know, they just have to feel, you know, some sort of pressure. And I think those that do that usually do much, much better in close matches.
1: Interesting. Because I agree with you. I think you do see a lot of time. I won't yeah. say it's wasted, but spent could be
2: better spent.
1: Yeah, just hitting balls back and forth. And sure. and I've talked about this a lot uh in this podcast and on articles on our site. But I remember when my son went to train in Spain for a month mm. and he would only be on the court for an hour and a half. Then they mm. would take a, a break for lunch and chill out and whatever and then they would come back for another hour and a half in in the afternoon but mm. that hour and a half was killer like you know the kids were falling over by the end of that hour and a half because it was so focused and intense mm. that it was completely different from the approach that my son had been used to yeah. prior to going there where you yeah. know he'd be at drills for 3 hours straight yeah and um you know, there maybe wasn't as much direction in terms of what, as you said, having a goal for why you're there. Like, what yeah. are you, what are you trying to What's learn today? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Um, I think that, you know, there's, there's always this question in parents' mind, or is my child with the right coach? Is my child with the best coach? Could yeah. my child be doing better if somebody else were working with them yeah what do you say to parents that are questioning all this stuff
2: Mm, i think the thing about america is and probably australia too and other countries is there's just so many coaches so there's lots of information it's like finding the right doctor how do you find the right doctor um you know i think the important things that i'll i'll I look for when I know a coach is the right coach for a player is is there a connection? Does does the player respond to the type of coaching that's given? Do they get things quickly? You know, can I watch a match and honestly say to myself, is that player improving? Has that player player improved since the last time I saw them play? And if the answers are obviously yes, well, it's obviously the right coach. What I tell parents is. You've got to have two feet in the door when you go to a new coach. You've got to give the coach a chance. You've got to buy into what they're saying. You can't have, you know, one foot in the door and one foot second guessing everything. Mm. Yeah, you, you just have to give the coach a chance. And if you're unsure about things, well, just explain some things. And if you're unsure, you know, when you first look at hiring a coach, well, ask for his mentor's contact number and find out some more.
1: Yeah, that's a great suggestion.
2: Make some, make some phone calls. I mean, you know, if I go for a job interview, I mean, I've got to bring my resume, I've got to bring my reference list, I've got to be prepared to ask some tough questions, you know, and that's that's very much the same, yeah. really, as this should be.
1: How important is it for the junior coach to be at tournament matches?
2: I don't think the junior coach has to be at every single tournament match. I mean, I think probably 70% of the time, perhaps 80% of the time. I do think it's different to watching practice matches. So if any coach tells me, well, I don't need to go watch them play a tournament. You know, I watch them play practice matches all the time. I'm just like, well, no, that's that's not it. You've got to see them play under true pressure and... um, You'll learn a lot, but no, I don't think you ha- you have to be there every single match. I mean, I think that's almost detrimental in doing the player a disservice because too many times the player becomes dependent on the coach. Mm-hmm. And I think, the you know, as I said earlier, the big problem in today's coaching is there's too much coaching. There's overcoaching. There's not enough coaches asking players questions and teaching them to think, you know, for themselves. And, um so I think, yeah, you know, having a coach there 100% of the time actually hurts player development.
1: Interesting, interesting. Well, Tom, it's been so fun chatting with you and getting to hear a little bit about how you approach working with players as they're coming up through the junior years and hopefully into college and maybe onto the professional ranks. Um, if, if the parents watching this want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out?
2: Through cell phone or email. Okay. Um, yeah. And we'll
1: have links in, in the show notes on parentingaces.com for
2: That'd that. That would be great.
1: Do you. At, do you do camps or do you take kids on school holidays if they want to come train with you? Is that an option?
2: Definitely an option. I teach private lessons, semi-private lessons. Um, you know, I teach clinics. I, 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 I have players actually – come to me from different states I've got kids coming from California got players coming from Pittsburgh Pennsylvania so I've got players that are all kind of spread out across the country but come to me from time to time and um, you know I always stay in touch and follow up and check in and see how things are progressing and um, yeah so.
1: In those situations what is the relationship with the primary coach in their hometown?
2: Well, it's a very good one because the last thing I want to do is make them feel as though I'm stepping on their toes or, you know, showing them up or anything like that. So sure. I'd like to you know, I'd like to get to know them. I depending on their personality and their, you know, overall thought process, um yeah. determines how I approach things. I mean, if they're laid back and easygoing, it's easy. Um you know, i just ask them a couple of questions because as I said, I mean, I'm not one who likes to criticize or, you know, anything like that. I'd like to know the why behind doing something. And, um, you know, I don't claim to know everything about tennis and coaching. So, you know, look, I mean, there's lots of coaches, you know, that are out there that have lots of good ideas and there's different ways of doing things. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, like to collaborate and talk to them and keep them updated and um you know if they come to me for a session I send them an email, you know, straight away and then we have a FaceTime conversation about things and um yeah, we always keep in touch. So
1: I love that well Tom Downs thank you for coming on the podcast we will have your contact information as I mentioned in the show notes on parentingaces.com it's been a pleasure chatting with you I look forward to having you back on and getting some more information next time we chat but thank you uh, so
2: much for having me Lisa it's been a pleasure thank you thank you
1: and to my audience thank you so much for tuning in we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces Podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you have heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community seven